You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. A few months ago, before Taiwan went on COVID alert level three, I spoke with Michael Turton about biking around Taiwan. I remember when there was a push to make Taiwan more bike friendly, and it became popular for people to bike around the island or along the coast. Michael shared why he loves biking around Taiwan and how it is one of the best places to bike in the world. Surprisingly, he advised avoiding cycling route number one, which is the bicycle route around the island of Taiwan developed by the Taiwan Ministry of Transportation and Communications. He also talked about what he's learned about Taiwan's history and Aborigines by biking around Taiwan. Michael is a political commentator, Taipei Times columnist, and blogger. We've had Michael on Talking Taiwan previously on episode 119 when he spoke to me about China's ban of Taiwan's pineapples. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me here, and, and I'd love to talk about biking. Actually, you know, I, actually, I would like the viewers to know a little bit about you, um, because you've been such a fixture in Taiwan, and can you talk about, like, how long you've been in Taiwan and what brought you there, and then we can talk about the biking, and that's really interesting, because there's sure. a whole bike culture in Taiwan now. Yeah, uh, let's see, I first arrived in 1989, so um, I was there before they built the metro, and uh, the, in fact, the, I was living at Namaste Hostel, if some of you listeners remember that place. And uh, that building that it was in was knocked down to make the net metro oh. next to the train station. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've been here basically since then, and I've been involved with Taiwan in, in many different ways. Uh, ever since then, I worked for a pro-Taiwan uh, activist group in D.C. They, they did not lobby Congress. They provided information. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> then my boss would always say that he was so nervous hey we're not a lobbying group okay then that's a different tax thing <laughs> well, but we what was it that brought you to taiwan initially you know because it's oh. usually very interesting reasons that, that bring people especially well. at that time in 89 <laughs> well it's it's funny because the students ask me that and then i always say uh well, I came here because I heard the money was good and the and the food was great and the women were gorgeous. <laughs> and then I pause and then I say, it was a total lie. Oh. And uh, <laughs> that always makes them laugh. But the truth is that I was traveling through India. Oh. And um, I was and I I'd never had any kind of contact or heard of Taiwan. I yeah. had no idea this thing existed right. on Earth. Right. And I'm in the harbor in Bombay on a ship, going on a ferry going over to the cave island there. Mm -hmm. I forget its name. And uh, there was a Taiwanese film crew there, mm -hmm. and they oh. and we talked about Taiwan. I was like, "Wow, what is this thing?" And <laughs> then I went to the Taj Mahal, and uh, I'm standing in front of the Taj Mahal, and there's these Canadian guys there, and they had just come from Taiwan, and they were like, "Oh God, dude, you got to go there. It's great." <laughs> blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, well, so I'm thinking about Taiwan, and all my friends at that time, Japan was big, and they're going there, and so I ended up coming, and so I wanted to be different because that's me, and I went back to my hometown and I met a high school friend and he said I'm going to Taiwan to study Mandarin why don't you come with me and I said okay huh. and so what's your hometown where's your hometown a little town called Indiana Pennsylvania oh, about okay. an hour and a half northeast of Pittsburgh uh -huh. wow all right so you went there with your friend just on a whim yeah basically I didn't want to stay in the United States I'd, yeah. I'd come out of Kenya with the Peace Corps and then I traveled across Asia for months uh -huh. and uh and ever since I was young, I had wanted to live in Asia. Mm -hmm. When I was eight or nine, I opened a book, and there was a picture of a woman there carrying a pot of water on her, a pitcher of water <laughs> on her head. And 
I'm towering over here. Her was this bamboo, and the captain was Ceylon, world's tallest bamboo. Right? <laughs> and I thought, I got to see that. And yeah. I, I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. So I'm living my dream. I'm living in Asia. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> so I came out here, and um, uh, God, I, I lived here for many years. And then when I was 45, I, I'd been hiking, but I'd still putting on weight. And I went to see the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, you're going to die. If you do not do <laughs> oh, something, dear. you're going to die. Or, yeah. But the doc put the fear of God into me, right? He, and uh, he said, your purines are this, and your glucose is that. and your. But I'm like, doc, I, 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 I hike like every other day. We climb Trail 9 up to the top of the ridge. And he's like, it's not working. Mm. So I talked to a friend of mine, Michael Fahey, who is probably one of the most three or four most knowledgeable people about Taiwan that you will ever meet. And you should have him on the show sometime. Sure, yeah. And um, Fahey said, look, we're biking down the East Coast in a few weeks. Why don't you come with? So I bought a crappy bike at Carrefour and I biked like <laughs> crazy. And then I went down the East Coast and I was hooked. Wow. And you made yeah, it. They, you were able to do I, that. Well, they took it really slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> They were really nice. <laughs> but uh, then I ended up buying a really nice bike. You know, well, I can't say really nice, but a better one. And yeah. and so far, I've avoided the the thing that, that, you know, the thing where you have a bike and then you buy three more because one is not enough. <laughs> I've, I've always managed to have one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up um, – I ended up uh, – because I started putting my bike trips on my blog. And so mm -hmm. I had this blog within a blog, as Fahey himself called it. And it was mm -hmm. about biking. And mm -hmm. I would put up beautiful pictures. One of the things I learned, because I had one of the first websites about on Taiwan back in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. I think it was the second one. Mm -hmm. And it was like, come to Taiwan and teach English. And here's all the things you encounter, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things about that site, which later influenced my blog, was that I had pages on that site that were nothing but images, and mm -hmm. that because that was the 1990s and finding yeah. images of things was difficult, right? Mm -hmm. You had to download them with your modem, <laughs> blah blah blah. So, people, I I got this steady flow of visitors and and emails from people who were like, I'm Taiwanese, I've lived in you know the U.S. for 15 years, I miss Taiwan terribly, and your photographs are so wonderful for me, wow. right? Yeah. So, and this is like 1999. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the whole blogging thing started, you know, after that, around 2001, 2002, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And then there were some really great bloggers here. Just before I started, I started reading some of them. Uh, Scott Summers, he was mm -hmm. a huge influence on mm -hmm. me. And uh, TC Lin. And there was a guy named Roland Soon. Mm -hmm. Out at uh, east, east, west, north, south. He was a, he was a pro China blogger, mm -hmm. but his blog was really interesting. It always it had strong opinions. It was well written. The mm -hmm. language was interesting to read, mm -hmm. and its format was informative, so that you could go there and get links and stuff. Mm -hmm. And later on, I, I I drew on him when I was developing the blog, mm -hmm. and I just started blogging and mm -hmm. I started putting up uh, bike things. So I had all these different. And then the biking on the came in what year? When did you start biking? That would have been, let's see, what year is this? About 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was 45 when I started biking. So mm -hmm. I will always be stocky, sadly. Mm -hmm. And over the years, uh, people would read my blog and they'd say, hey, I want to go on a bike ride with you. And I gathered all these interesting people who took me to all sorts of fantastic places and knew amazing things about Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, for example, I'm biking with Drew Kerslake. And Drew wrote Andrew Kerslake, who's also a long-term resident. And he's... His sort of hobby slash professional interest is Taiwan Aborigines. Mm -hmm. 
And he wrote the award-winning wiki page on the Taiwan Aborigines. And he follows all of the scholarly stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we would go biking. And then I remember the first or second time I was biking with him, we crawling up this hill in Miaoli. And he stops and starts reading the bike stop signs. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing that? And he says, well, a lot of times the, you know, the KMT overlaid this area with, a, with, a, with you know, KMT names, right? Mm -hmm. But the old, but the bus stop signs preserve the old names for the local oh, areas. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and a lot of those old names have Aboriginal roots, right? Oh. And that's part of, and so that's one of the things that Drew would teach me as we drove around. Hey, see mm -hmm. that sign? Jiuxia, old town, right? Mm -hmm. Old city, old mm -hmm. village. Mm -hmm. And he'd say, yeah, that used to be the old, the site of an Aboriginal village. Mm -hmm. So there's, so if you bike say along the river north of Taichung, there, there's like I think I know of at least four places called Old Village. Mm -hmm. And then not far from them, there's another place called New Village. Hmm. Or if you go to Fengyuan, Drew took me to a cemetery there that where there were um, Badzai or Bunang graves. Oh. There were Bunang on this side. And one of them was the grave of a guy who'd been appointed as a, as a Mandarin by the Qing. And he was an Aborigine. And so there's a picture of him dressed in, a, in a, you know, an elaborate Chinese court outfit. Hmm. There's an image on the grave. But it, his ears are pierced. And he has giant discs in there, just like the Aborigines used to do. Mm. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that I learned about biking. I've used biking to learn about Taiwan. That's and, incredible. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about how um, there was a push to make biking a thing in Taiwan so that you could bike around the island. So they made like bike lanes and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. you're giving me a whole different perspective like of a way to really understand Taiwan and the history and a lot of the things, the vestiges that were left behind. Yeah, I do a lot of biking with Drew, and he's the kind of guy who, like, can spot things in a landscape. Mm -hmm. So we're, like, we'll be biking somewhere, and he says, hey, Mike, look at this little grave by the side of the road. And he pulls me over, and the, the grave is, the name on the grave is Son of the Land. Hmm. And it's the grave, it's a hand grave, right? It's a Chinese-style grave. But the mm -hmm. name on the grave is Son of the Land. And so mm -hmm. well, you know you're looking at an Aboriginal guy mm -hmm. who somehow became part of a Han family and was buried as a Han. But this right, realization that he, was, yeah, that he was he was not a settler, but he was a, a, mm -hmm. an Aborigine who mm -hmm. somehow been taken into that family. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing, of course, I've started noticing these things myself, right, because Drew taught this to me. And so you'll, I'll be biking in areas. And I, I spend a lot of time looking at grave names and place names and local names. So if you go like north of Taichung, the town of Holi, and then north of Holi, there's a belt of people named Chan. Mm -hmm. And they're all like settlers from China who intermarried mm -hmm. with right. local Aboriginal right. groups, right? And uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Holi, Dongshu. And uh, nor it's northeast of Dongshu. There's this belt of Chans. And if you go where I live in Tanzi, it's a belt of Linz. And this belt of mm -hmm. Linz goes down to Ufong, mm -hmm. where they're the famous Linz of Ufong, right? Lin Xientang, those guys who have... Who go? Who are you know working with governments and had their own private armies and went over to China to fight the Taiping, right? Mm. And then um, on the north side, there's another belt of Linz. And if you go through the older, uh, and Drew's taking me around to do this, you go through the older like elementary schools out there that date back to the Japanese period, and you can see there's three names, right? Um, there's the Lin. There's this one name that's the Han. Then there's a second name that's a uh, Hakka. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third name, a surname like Pan. And mm -hmm. the family's from Shandong. Mm. 
and there's no Shandong immigrants in Taiwan. I mean, in the in the in the pre-modern period, they were they were mostly from the south, right? So what the Aborigines do when they were uptaken into Han culture, one of the things they did for themselves was fashion, you know, sort of fake uh, Han uh, ancestry. And one of the places they like to locate themselves from was Shandong. So you know, you're looking at this school principal position that was rotated among powerful local families, one of whom had Aboriginal origins. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I've been doing for years, biking in the mountains, biking wherever. Hmm. I'll be looking at whatever local history is 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 visible. Wow. You know. Have you and, documented uh, this somehow? Or you guys, I mean... I wrote about it on the blog. Oh, okay. I wonder how many people would be interested in doing bike tours like this. I know, I'm sure it's very niche, but there may be some people who would be interested in well, being taken on Well, a lot of people these. are interested. I already know this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, local history, there's a lot of people who are interested in local history, but very few foreigners are, right? Yeah. So, so, you, so that's one thing that I do in biking. But for the Taiwanese themselves, biking became big um, after the Island Etude movie came out. You know that movie? Guy no. bikes around Taiwan with no. a guitar on his back, huh. and and this movie was a huge influence, and people started copying what he was doing. Mm-hmm. It came out, I think, in two thousand and seven. Hmm. And uh, then, what happened was biking became incorporated into the Taiwan identity, mm-hmm. because one of the things the KMT did, whether uh, on purpose or not, was that it tried to remove local identities. And so, mm-hmm. Taiwan is really weird. If you say if you, when you travel, for example, when you travel in Europe or the United States, right, and when your family takes you around, what did you visit? Well, when I was a kid, my father took me to Gettysburg, and mm-hmm. you know, we visited Fort Mackinac in Michigan, and we went to the Great Lakes and the national parks. So what do you do? You travel, you travel through your country's history, and that helps you learn your identity, mm-hmm. right? But in Taiwan, what do people do? They go to someplace and they eat whatever the food is. It's it's really weird because you don't do that elsewhere. I mean, how how you say a Taiwanese town name and everyone can associate it with with a food item like mm-hmm. Jianghua, mm-hmm. oh Bawa, Jinju, yeah. Gong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And of course, when I'm doing this, when I'm talking to my students in class, I always pull out Tai Chi, and they'll be like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> What's associated with Tai Chi? There's Tai Dong, Tai Jong, Tai Bei. What is Tai Chi, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tainan." <laughs> But Tai Chi is in Tainan. It's a little town out there, and it's famous for a Wajian, you know, oh. the oyster, oh. the oyster omelet thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually learned that on a bike ride. I was biking through Jianghuan. I met these guys going south, and they're like, and I was like, "Where are you going?" And they said, "We're going to Tai Chi." And I was like, "What are you going to Tai Chi for?" There's nothing so there. you can and do said, a biking oh, foodie Wajian. tour. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they do here, right? So you experience Taiwan through food, yeah. except that you don't experience its history. And uh-huh. of course, if you don't have history, you don't mm-hmm. have identity. Right. But what they're doing here is they're working out substitutes, and one of this is you experience the new identity here, is that you experience Taiwan through your body. You take your body to places in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. You have to um, – there's like six or seven of these things now. You have to go to, around Taiwan on a bike. You have to climb uh, Yusan, Mount Jade, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. the highest mountain. Mm-hmm. You have to do the Sun Moon Lake swim, which is why now it's so crowded every year. There's like mm-hmm. 25,000 people <laughs> in that lake. Wow. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's why I never do it. <laughs> I, I don't don't fancy getting kicked in the face <laughs> again and again as I cross the lake. <laughs> so there's there's several of these things that you have to do, and uh, it's a way to build your identity by interacting with the land where you live. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can experience its size, its shape, how long it takes you to do things. So that's mm-hmm. one aspect 
biking mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about it is that it still remains relatively unknown, even though there's articles on it from time to time. It's one of the best places to bike. Um, once you get used to the crazy traffic, you realize after a while that the that drivers all unconsciously leave space on their right side for mm-hmm. because they expect things to be there, right? Mm-hmm. I noticed when I was in Malaysia, the drivers were super polite. When I was driving, if they saw me, they would immediately slow down. They would let me go by. They were great. But they didn't have that reflex of leaving space on the right side. So it was mm-hmm. actually pretty dangerous to get mm-hmm. on their right side. Mm-hmm. Not because they wanted to hit you or because they were rude or anything, but because they didn't expect you to be there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so in there's Taiwan, not that many people that bike, so that they they're not that aware of leaving space for bikers on the right in Malaysia. Not just that, but there's no street vendors. There's no people walking in the oh. street, you know, on the highways. Uh-huh. There's no, okay. you know, there's all the stuff that you encounter in Taiwan. Yeah. Right. On the side of the you know, road. Yeah. Just, everything happens in the street. That's how mm-hmm. Chinese society works. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not true of Malaysia. Uh. So it's one of the things I've noticed here. Mm. It's actually a really great place to bike. You can get there's convenience stores everywhere. Yes. If like, like one of the things I've done when I bike is I'm in say Hualien, and I mm-hmm. know in two days I'll be in Fangliao and mm-hmm. Pingdong, mm-hmm. but I don't want to carry all my shit. So what do I do? Oh, I just put all my stuff in the mail oh. from Seven Eleven, huh. right? And if I'm tired of carrying my bike around, I can ship it back through a bike shop. I used to be able to send wow. it by train, but they stopped. Yeah, that was huh. the government promotes bikes, but then they don't make the train company. <laughs> mm, yeah. So what we had constant it's always a constant battle to to uh put a bike on the train. Oh wow. So no, I was going to say so how long does it take to bike around the entire island? Well, it's 700k, so if you do 100k, you can do it in a week. Mm. Um I know people that have done it in like 3 days oh my and gosh. other people have done it in 2 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it it just depends. Yeah. Like the mayor of Taipei just did the what is the, what they call the lighthouse to lighthouse ride. Mm-hmm. You ride from the lighthouse in the north side to the Alonbi in the south. Mm-hmm. That's 350k something like mm-hmm. that. I can't mm-hmm. remember. But they do it in 24 hours. Oh wow. That sounds yeah. aggressive. Yeah, it's really but at this time of year you got the wind behind you. Yeah, okay. So it's not a and and, it, and the west coast is flat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not what you would call mm-hmm. good biking. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things I I do is a ride from Taichung down to the Jai HSR, and I've done that. I do that ride almost every month because it's one of the ways that I track changes in Taiwan. Mm. You know, you can drive through, drive through these areas, and there's constant flow of new businesses right. and new fads and mm-hmm. all these things, mm-hmm. and um, you can really get a sense of how Taiwan is changing that way. Mm, I'm sure. And of course, Taiwan is beautiful. Yeah. How long does that uh, take that ride? Oh, that takes me about six hours. Oh, wow. So it's 120k. Mm-hmm. That's 20k. That's 20k an hour. That's slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, actual. I usually take an hour, hour and a half of rest and mm-hmm. eating lunch and mm-hmm. maybe chatting mm-hmm. up. You know. So how much do you bike like uh, daily or weekly? Like, how much biking do you do? <laughs> <laughs> before I retired, and then I was looking forward to in retirement to biking more. Before I retired from the university. Um, I used to do about 250 kilometers a week, uh-huh. but uh, now, right after I retired from the university, I I severely damaged my knee. Oh dear! And I couldn't bike. I haven't biked much for the last three years, oh, which is sorry one of the reasons. Yeah, it really sucked. It was very painful, if emotionally actually, because I because mm. biking just makes you feel high. It's it's a mm. great feeling, mm. and you know the the when you're in a car, you're in a little glass bubble. You're yeah. not part of the world. Yeah. When you're a bicyclist, you're part of the world. You can have yeah, conversations you're, with you're people. you're interacting uh, with all the elements. Yeah. 
you, you can feel it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I missed that, but the knee is finally better. And I've t- restarted, I've started biking again, which has made me very happy. And, um, I think one of the amazing things about this island is that there's all these tiny little roads that go interesting places mm-hmm. that nobody is on. Mm-hmm. And you can actually do, in a, on biking on these roads, you can actually be in a place where you're like 30 kilometers from the nearest person, <laughs> which is a rare, rare experience in Taiwan, right? You can take, I think it's the Nanto 54, mm-hmm. and you maybe pass three buildings until you hit the until you hit the 49 coming down uh, Sanling Shi. Mm. And... Uh, you go up to like 1,400 meters. You go through tea fields at the end. But most of it's spent on a desolate interior road going through the hills. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's all these uh, – you can get on the 23 going from Fuli to um, – and it comes out. Where the heck does that come out? It, it comes out on the east coast. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot where it comes out. Anyway, it comes out on the east coast. And you mm-hmm. go – it's like 50K, but it, mm-hmm. for 25 or 30K, you're in the mountains and there's nobody there. And it's a beautiful two-lane road, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, I'm just imagining this because, you know, all the things that I I personally think about Taiwan is, like, how it's so densely populated and, you know, it's three-quarters mountainous zones. But then you're describing a whole different side of Taiwan where you can be on this desolate road. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really – there's there's cyclists who were just posting how they took an old – they took a logging road up to 3,200 meters. Mm-hmm. You know, they on mountain bikes, and they were like, "There's nobody on that road." That's actually why I don't take those roads, because if you run into trouble, nothing can save you. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, There's that know, other you, the other side, right? That's the flip side, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and and you can run into trouble. You can get bit by a snake or something. There's there's roads where you encounter snakes, and and Taiwan snakes are all short tempered, and not, not that I really blame them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I'm sometimes leery about these roads. But even on, like, regular roads, like, um, if you're on a weekday and you're on, say, you're on, like, the 21, uh, which goes from it's, – it's east of Taichung, and it goes from the northern side of Taichung, what used to be Taichung County, down to Nanto, down to uh, Guoxing and Puli. You take the 21, and most of the time you're on that road, you're on a shelf looking down mm-hmm. over the – and looking across to the mountains and looking down on a valley and it's gorgeous and there's nobody on that road. Wow. Yeah. It's not until the weekend and then it's full of cars and right. sad to say big motorcycles and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Even like, uh, or Taroko, you come out of Taroko and you climb up to the top of that mm-hmm. and most of it's empty. There's no place to eat. There's no cars. There's nothing. It's very easy on a bike to find kilometer after kilometer where you are the only person, even at low altitudes. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, like in the Moonscape area of Tainan, mm. do you know that area? Oh, I've heard of it. Yes, but I yeah, yeah. Well, this is the kind of thing that you find yeah. out when you bike. Yeah. Taiwan yeah. is like one mm-hmm. of two places in the yeah, world. Yeah, I think I've passed by there. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. The the um, sand hills there, the, yes. the badlands. Yes, badlands. Here's Taiwan, a tropical island, and, and Taiwan and Madagascar are the only places that have badlands. Uh, are the only tropical places that have badlands, and so the badlands there are, they they all have strange. The key thing is, though, that you can get on a bike and go through the minor roads there, and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. And you can get up on a ridge and look out over the badlands. You're the only person that you can see. You know, eventually what happens, because there's always someone around, some old farmer will wander up to you and offer <laughs> you some fruit, right? <laughs> so you can have really good experiences. You can be alone. 
you can see beautiful scenery and local people are like, hey, look, a bicyclist. Let me feed you. <laughs> and uh, or, <laughs> or they'll say weird things to you like uh, I was in Miaoli one year and I'm biking on this mountain, this little hill road. It's really gorgeous. And um, it's to go through farms. And I stop and this farmer comes up to me. He says, how did you get here? And I'm looking down at the bike and he says, you're so fat. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get here? You're so fat. How did you ride that bike? <laughs> and another time I'm on the trip up in the same place and another farmer stops me and he says, you better leave here. I said, why? What's wrong? And he said, this place is full of thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the other things about Taiwan that's often underappreciated is how safe you are. Yeah. I mean, you're biking across other countries. I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> and you might think, hmm, I need to be in town by daylight. Mm-hmm. But in uh, by the by the end of the day, right? I need to be there by night. And but in Taiwan, you're 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 safe. No mm. one is going to give you a hard time. You can probably mm. camp and be safe. Mm. Um, it's really it's it's safe. It's convenient. It's beautiful. And it's, and there's a lot of infrastructure out there now to supply this demand for for biking. Uh, you can rent bikes. It's really easy to, for example, to rent touring bikes at the giant shop in at the Hualien train station, mm. and you can drop them at the mm. giant stop shop mm. at the Taitung train station. Mm. So you can go down the East Coast, 180k, take two or three days, rent bikes, enjoy it, and not have to worry about shipping them back or whatever. Yeah, it's really. So I, I was going to ask, like, for somebody who's never biked and who wants to do um, some biking on some section of Taiwan, as you mentioned, how easy would that be? That's a great example that you give. Do they give you a map? Is it easy to navigate? What if somebody has never done this and is in Taiwan and is like, okay, I want to bike a section of the island? <laughs> What's it's your recommendation? On the East Coast, it's super easy. I always uh-huh. recommend the East Coast because uh-huh. there's like one or two bad hills, but it's not, you know, you can walk them, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's easy to get bikes. There's a million places to stop. It's gorgeous. There's, you know, all kind of good food. And uh, it's a part of Taiwan that's not like the rest of Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, things are slower there. Right. The air is clean. Mm-hmm. The West Coast is a disaster. You don't want to be on the plane. Mm-hmm. Unless like unless you're a weirdo like me who is interested in Taiwan local history, right? Mm-hmm. There's, n- there's never any reason to bike south of Taichung and east and west, sorry, of the three. <laughs> Right, Greenland, Jai, all those places. As far as bicyclists are concerned, they should be flyover country. But unfortunately, <laughs> the government recommended routes put you on like the one, which runs kind of down the coast, and it's it's like this unending stream of car repair shops, beetle nut girls, <laughs> and you know it's it's. So don't do the one. That's your recommendation. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that road should actually be plowed under. <laughs> And salt and the ground salted and you know head stake there to to warn people for the next thousand years that you should not be on this road. <laughs> but the government recommended routes are terrible because they're set up by people who were who either don't understand biking or wanted to like direct bikers to their their cousin Chun who's got a little restaurant in yeah. some such place. Right. right. Yeah, you know that works. So the the places you want to be are in the mountains or if you want to do flat, the East Coast has enough flat. And you can just do like 60 kilometers a day. And if you don't want to be on the coast, the interior roads to the Rift Valley are also gorgeous. A lot of people do the Nine. I don't like the Nine because it's too crowded for me. But uh, there's parallel roads that are absolutely amazing. And again, they're empty. You can get on the Zhuofu Industry Road. It runs parallel to the Nine out of uh, Chersung and head south. And you'll come out near Luye. And for 30 or 40K, you'll be the only person on the road. Hmm. And you're on a little shelf. You're overlooking the Rift Valley. And it's absolutely beautiful. 
and you're riding through local history too. So there's Aboriginal villages. Mm-hmm. There's little plaques that will tell you, you know, this temple used to be there, and then this family moved it here, mm-hmm. and here are all the people who used to live here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's stuff. So it can be a really enjoyable experience for any kind of cyclist. Wow. So how many routes? Are you? you mentioned like one nine. Are there a certain number, like numbered routes for biking? So the government lays down these routes and puts numbers on them. And actually, like the Joelful Industry Road, which is a very obscure road, has markings on it, has government signs on it telling you to how to take it, which is, you know, fantastic. Somebody out there realized that it was a really nice road. Um, all of these routes are – they're on maps. They're really easy to find. And it's hard to get lost on the East Coast because there's only – all the roads run north-south, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as you keep going south, you'll be fine. <laughs> the West Coast, everything interlinks and overlaps. And the, and there's frequent route changes, mm-hmm. you know, which the government – like if you take the 145, for example, and you pop up in uh, – what the hell is the name of that town now? Uh, anyway, then you cross the river and you're in this town and the 145s stops it actually makes a turn but for you it stops because there's no sign telling you that there's a turn Mm. there's so (laughs) many places like that Mm. i think my favorite is the distance thing you've probably seen this in taiwan you'll be driving and you'll see a sign oh chachang 22 and then you drive for like three kilometers and the next sign says chachang 25 (laughs) (laughs) wait am i going the wrong way no i'm going (laughs) south there's the ocean on my right side (laughs) what's going on here Someone convinced the Taiwan government to make road signs to the borders, which no one ever will do, right? How often in your life do you say, I think I'll go to the border of Yunlin and Jai and have a picnic? You know, nobody does things like that. When you're driving to a place, you, you want to know how far it is to the city center, you know? Yeah. But that's how the whole world works, but not Taiwan. So in Taiwan, first you'll see a sign that says, uh, you know, Heping Township, 12K. Okay, but I'm going to Heping Town. And then you have to do another 10K. When you're on a car, it doesn't matter. But when you're on a bike and you're tired, that 10K yeah. is painful. Yeah. You know. Hmm. So you so the the whole the signage here needs to be redone. Yeah. But but it's there. Everything is in English. Mm. You know, the, there's a lot of English now spoken in Taiwan. People are really friendly all over the world. Anywhere I've been on a bike, people have been friendly. Oh. Thailand, Malaysia, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you're on a bike, you're not you're not a possible threat. Yeah. So are there any websites, like English language websites, that have like these bike routes in Taiwan or any resources like that? Well, there's my blog. but okay. uh, And every almost every post that where I have, I have a, a route map and an explanation of like issues that you might encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of biking blogs out there. And there's people like Mark Roach, R-O-C-H-E, who run bike tours. And he's mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. And they take, you know, they take you to interesting places. He does them out of the south. So they do places like Mainong and Namashia mm-hmm. and um, where else do they go? Uh, Laonong, further mm-hmm. north and east of Mainong. You know, they do mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, and it's yeah. really pretty. He knows what he's doing. He's probably – he and, uh, again, my friend Michael Fay, who introduced me to biking, are probably the two most knowledgeable bicyclists mm-hmm. about Taiwan. Uh, but unfortunately, because, the again, the government – this is a problem with all of the tour stuff that involves – young people coming here and doing things. The government conceives of tourism as something where people come here and spend money shopping. Uh-huh. Right? So there's lots of guides for that. Where can I eat in Taipei? Where yeah. can I go shopping? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they look at younger people as scruffy backpackers who are probably going to come here and cause trouble and then mm. leave. Mm. You know, it's a class issue, right? Mm-hmm. They don't see that these people are going to come here and scuba dive and buy 
oh, made in Taiwan scuba diving equipment. Right. They're going to come here and they're going to buy made in Taiwan bikes. Mm-hmm. They're going to come here. You know, Taiwan makes a lot of sporting equipment. Yeah. And when you come here to do yeah. sports, you're going to use Taiwan stuff. I've been thinking for a while that I would like to, next time I'm in Taiwan, if I spend more time to like do some biking and like you're really making, giving me a whole new perspective on this. <laughs> so hopefully I'll get to do that at some point in the future. I, I have lists of you know amazing roads that you should yeah. be on, but a, yeah. a lot of them require that you actually have some um, experience. Yeah, sure, Because sure. Taiwan, sure. Taiwan has actually some of the steepest mountains in the world. Oh yeah, and getting up those yeah. getting up those roads, some yeah. of them are, is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. you can get out of, uh, you know, like uh, if you crawl up the flank of Alishan through the tea tea farms, which is mm-hmm. a gorgeous ride, mm-hmm. but it's you know a succession oh of 15 de- it's a fifteen degree grade. I know, for, oh my gosh, so. When I was much younger and um, I went up Yushan, um, uh-huh. yeah, I had some hard time at the higher altitudes. Yeah, not yeah, really hard, it. but I, ex- you know, the whole you experience the difference breathing and all that. Yep, yeah. yep. I have trouble at high altitude too. I, yeah. whenever I get up to Uling, I'm, I get uh, once you get above three thousand meters, I can't. I have trouble functioning. Oh dear. Yeah. So. Well, I was able to do it. I just noticed that it was harder to breathe. So I wasn't. I would, don't think I was the worst case. It, it wasn't like I had a headache or like I couldn't function. But I, oh, I had yeah. to slow down, for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the attractions of Taiwan. You can get on bike road pa- bike roads that take you up over two thousand meters in many mm-hmm. many places. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, that road over Uling. You know, tops out at thirty two hundred meters, which is higher than any paved through road in Europe. So there's a couple of national bike teams that train uh, in Taiwan mm-hmm. just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's really great having you on the podcast. Um, thanks for being here, Michael. Sure. It was wonderful to be here. I've been speaking with Michael Turton about biking in Taiwan. He shared some of the fascinating things he's learned about Taiwan's history and Aborigines as he's cycled around the island. It really makes me want to get back to Taiwan, hopefully sooner than later, once COVID gets more under control. We will share links to many of the items mentioned in this episode on our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. Talking Taiwan publishes new episodes weekly. It's thanks to the support of listeners like you that our work is made possible. You can help us grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution starting at $5 a month or $60 a year on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. We are offering supporters invitations to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, Felicia Lin, the host of Talking Taiwan. Advanced notification of future guests, a Talking Taiwan tote bag, and other mystery gifts. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or help others to discover Talking Taiwan by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.